We want to welcome our center worshipers in as they're joining us from across the street and also those that are watching online or in some type of digital format every weekend uh, as we're waiting for vaccines and hopefully clearing of this craziness in our society. Uh, We know that uh, these... uh, productions, if you will, of the ability to get the message that we're communicating out there in, the, in, in our community and really around the world for that matter uh, is so very important. And so just a heartfelt welcome to all those that are joining us today. Well, I want you to pray for me. I, I hope my voice holds up. We had a uh, Deacon Wives event yesterday that I spoke at and I had that memorial service yesterday and this going on and so I don't know uh, this morning when I was uh, exercising uh, some people were talking to me and yeah people are out at five o'clock in the morning believe it or not uh, some of you aren't awake at that time uh, but uh, I noticed my voice cracking but maybe it'll be strong today would you join me in the book of Second uh, Timothy it, just go to the very end just just go as far as you can go and camp out there Um, Over these next several weeks, uh, it is time. There's two things that it's uh, almost always the appropriate time to do in church life. Uh, Number one, to remind people about their core values. A New Testament church that's not reminded of its core values and what its mission is, almost in a constant fashion, will drift. The other thing that's so very important and always in season for us to do, and it's time, is for you and I to re-embrace what we really believe in. And what we really believe in, our belief system really encompasses and makes us what we are. And so for the next several weeks, I just want to talk heart to heart with all of our fellowship and those that may want to join us about who we are. Now, I I don't know what the future of Oakland Heights Baptist Church holds. I I live one day at a time. What about you? Amen? One day at a time. Uh, I have no idea who would be the pastor of this church in 50 years. Don't know what that will look like. But all I can just assure you with everything in me, I'll do all I can as long as God entrusts me with this responsibility of shepherding this New Testament body, the thing that you can count on me to do is to always vote against any effort to remove Baptist Church from our name. Now, I know many churches have done that. They've been successful at doing that, and I have no qualms about that. If the Lord led a New Testament body to remove Baptist from their name, then you know what? That's what God's led them to do, and I'm thankful that they were obedient to that. But I don't hear that call of God on my life or for our church. I want you to know that I am extremely proud, very thankful to stand before you today and tell you that all of my life I've been a Baptist. I have no shame in that. There's no shame in that. And in fact, I I have no problem telling you I'm a Southern Baptist. But do you know that most people really don't even know what Southern Baptists really believe? Typically, since we live in the Bible Belt, there'll be some kind of thing about, well, they're people of the Word. They're people of the Bible. Well, you got that right. Out of the Greek language, when we transliterate the Greek into the English biblos out of the Greek language, it, it really rendered there is the inside of a plant. It came out of that papyrus background. We, we are people that came out of the writing, the script of God's word of something being written on it. But we are people of the word of God. And today I I just want to spend a few moments and I hope you'll jot down a few things because I just want to take you back. I'm speaking today to most of our students that are at the center. And, And today, even speaking to their hearts over in the center, our young people need to listen carefully today because today I want to speak into their hearts about the importance of them knowing what they believe, who they are, 
not because they were reared in this church or that church, not adopting a set of beliefs on behalf of their parents or grandparents or some type of family legacy. But let's each, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, let God's word and let him speak to us in terms of how we each come to know in our own heart by the leading of the Holy Spirit who we are in Christ. And today that is my heart, that's my prayer, is that God would speak to us about the importance of the Bible. We are people of the Bible. And I hope you're not ashamed of that. In fact, my only political ad will be right here. I just have great concerns about where our nation is going because we're pulling further and further away from the Bible. I don't care about this political party stuff. I know that men and women came and founded this nation with the Bible at the center point. You ever seen those monuments of the, at, at Plymouth as those pilgrims came in? What are they holding in their laps? They're holding the Bible. Now, I'm all for diversity and pluralities and opportunities, all for all that stuff. But I'll tell you, we are a Christian, Bible-believing nation. That's what we were founded on. And I'm just so very concerned, and I hope your prayer lives are filled like mine. My prayer life is that God bring us back to the centrality of your word. We've lost our moorings. We're adrift in the sea because we've moved further and further away from the word of God. And so today, can I just mention three things to you that I think are extremely significant about this concept of we are people of the word. We are people that believe that this is the standard. Now, most of you are aware that the Apostle Paul, his, we, we believe his last writing was a letter to a young preacher that he had mentored by the name of Timothy. And so in our Bibles, we have two letters recorded for us. There, there could have been other letters, but two of them made it into the canon of Scripture. And if you'll just look with me in 2 Timothy, uh, go over there to chapter 3, at the very end of chapter 3, I just want to read this heartfelt message and how Paul ends up speaking into his mentorship of a young man that he invested so much time in. What were his closing words, not just of his mentorship, but of his life in terms of his writing, at least that we have record of? Here's what God's word says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading from God's word in verse number 10, chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, Paul said, know all about my teaching. I mean, this sounds like a conversation Gary and Powell and I would have in my old pickup truck. It's like, Garen, now you know better than that. You, you, you know this. You've heard me speak about this. And, you mean, you can just hear Paul writing in mentorship to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, <laughs> my endurance. You know about my persecutions. You know about my sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions that I've endured, he's just reminding Timothy, Timothy, man, you know, you and I have been a long, long way together. You know, you know what my heart is. You, you've, know, you've known of all people kind of what I've been facing. And then, and then Paul wrote this, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, they're going to be persecuted. They will be persecuted while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Listen carefully now. Paul says, but it's for you, continuing what you have learned and have become convinced of. Does that sound like just an encouragement there, by the way? If, know who you are. Remember, you and I together and those people in faith with us, Timothy, we are who God's called us to be. 
because you know those from whom you've learned it, look in verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Boy, Timothy, you're, you're so fortunate. You grew up with those that in a family that they invested the word of God in you from the beginning. You grew up with that. Went on to say, so important, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he said this, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wow. Is that not good? Not a whole lot we need to add to that. Some of you are saying, man, I hope pastor remembers that statement right there. Out of that heartbeat, what is it that you and I believe together jointly and corporately when we come together and constitute not only a church, but we affiliate with a denomination, a network of many churches. When we come and state our belief and we are, when we bring that, the first thing I want you to jot down is what we say is the Bible is God's word, therefore it's the best standard. Again, the Bible is God's word, therefore it is the best standard. Did you notice as we read just a moment ago that statement, all scripture is God breathed. What is Paul just driving home again to young Timothy? He's just reminding him, hey, this is without question the word of God. We know the Bible is the perfect treasure of divine inspiration. There's a term that Southern Baptists have held on to with all love. It's inspired by God. It is, it is his word. It's his standard. In other words, God is the author of this book. He did not actually pen the words. He used human hands to pen it. But he inspired that through the writing. Therefore, it's the supreme standard. The supreme standard. The best standard for any of us to use. Now, we live in a day and time that... There's going to be people that are going to approach adults, young adults, children, about here's the Koran. This is a wonderful measure of life. There'll be some that will come and say, here's the Bible plus the Book of Mormon. There'll be others that will gather and say, you know, here's this writing or here's this standard. And at times it'll be in written form and at other times it may be transcribed somewhere. But we live in a day and time that people will offer up all types of opportunities of documents and different standards for us to live by. A standard for to, 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 to guide our lives. And you and I live in a day and time that we are pretty much forced, we're forced to choose as to which direction we'll go. I wrote down this passage in Hebrews chapter one. Maybe you want to turn there. The first three verses, again, just a little quick ad for our Wednesday morning Bible study. We're going through this book. We started with these first three verses in Hebrews. Listen to them. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. In the past, God spoke. There it is again. God spoke in years past, and listen, he spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many, in various variegated, in other words, multicolored, many different ways. But in these last days, listen to Hebrews one and two. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Verse three, the son of the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. 
You see, as we consider this being the standard, first and foremost, you and I got to make a decision. We got to make a tough call. Do we really believe this is God's word? I mean, all of us have to answer that. Either we do or we do not. In a moment, we'll talk more about the tracing of the authority of God's word. But God's word certainly leaves no, no doubt as to who inspired and who is responsible for having his word in our hearts and our hands. But you know, there's also a practical side of that. I mean, that ought to be enough, shouldn't it? God said it, it's his word, we're going to obey it. There was a day and time in our culture that was enough. There was a day and time when our parents said, you know, that's the way it is. You get a spanking at school, you're going to get a spanking at home. It was just spoken on their word. That's the way it was. We're not going to sit around the house and it's not going to be the teacher's fault. It's not going to be a discussion here if you get in trouble about how sorry the school is. Going to be one issue. You got in trouble, you're going to get in trouble again. You know, there's a day and time when we might have said, this is God's word. And that was enough. But not anymore. And this is not the only time in history that's been that way. In the first century, it wasn't that way either. Romans could care less whether or not a group of some offspring in their eyes of a set of Jewish people that believed in the authenticity that God's son had come, they could really care less what they had written and what they had preserved and what they were calling Biblos, Bible, that they uh, could care less about it. We're not the only ones to fight that. It's not the only time in history that that's happened. But what I would suggest to you is, even if you don't buy into that, I would just suggest to you there's a whole practical side of this being the best standard. When you think about ethics, ethics has nothing higher or nobler to say than the, what the moral teaching of the Bible states for us. Have you ever stopped to think about a thousands, several thousand years have passed since there's been any additional writing in terms of the Bible. All of that time has passed since the writing of our Bible. And wonderful progress has been made in all kinds of areas of our lives, medically. I mean, think about it. Arts. Think about all of the progress. But when it comes to the moral compass for our lives there's still no better and no ads since the Bible closed in the area of biblical ethics. It's all right here, signed, sealed, and delivered. No moral truth has been discovered beyond what is contained right here in the Bible. How do you explain that? You see, the Bible for us is not just what we must believe. It's not just what we must be, but it is what we must do as set forth in the Bible that has clearness and completeness found nowhere else. So today, as you and I wrestle with what is going to be our standard, understand if you're going to attend here and be a part of this Bible believing group of New Testament believers. When you come to one of our services or you come to one of our small groups, you will not hear someone stand and recite poetry. You will not hear a repertoire of political ads. You will not hear some type of opinionated opinion statements of some cultural synthesis of things that are going on outside in our culture or society, what you're going to hear time and time again is someone to stand with the authority of God, with his word in their hand, his hand and heart, and proclaim the word of God. This is our standard. I'm so thankful for a group of deacons right now that are wrestling with some real big challenging biblical truths. 
we're just at that point in our church that we're starting to be able to separate. There's expectations of certain groups and membership that are just that. They're expectations that we culturally put on people from a traditional standpoint, how we dress, how we behave, certain things. But there's also a call in our lives to be obedient. And the highest call is to be obedient to God's word. I'm so thankful almost on a monthly basis to be able to sit down with those guys and pray with them, take care of discussions that are significant to help serve our church fellowship. Well, one thing that I will always embrace about Oakland Heights Baptist Church, and I can speak to just about all aspects of this history, I'm thankful that the membership here for over 60 years has held firmly to very good conservative biblical doctrine. There may be a lot of things we haven't done well, but I'm so thankful that there have been men and women in this fellowship that have held this, the Bible, as their standard. Now let's jot down a second thing I think is very significant for us today. Not just is this... God's word, therefore, it obviously becomes the best standard. It will be our standard. But also a second thing, the Bible alone is authoritative. The Bible is authoritative. Now that's a very important aspect of who we are and what we believe when it comes to biblical text. Authoritative, this is the authority for us. It's not a position. It's not church government. Somebody the other day stopped me and wanted to embroil me in this discussion about, well, should our church have elders and should it not? And I said, hey, what's important here is that we follow the biblical text of what it says. And you're not going to find the answer to what you're asking about here because you know what? Elders is mentioned, deacon, the aconos is mentioned, the servants. But you know, each church, and we'll talk about autonomy and how that's important and very significant in Baptist life. Hey, you know, but for us, what's really important is this word of God is the authority for us. And I might just suggest this. I'm going to probably listen to playback back today and think, why did I say that? But I'm going to say it in a way. When you get off script, it gets dangerous. Maybe we don't need to spend much of our time worrying about things that aren't stated in here. Could that be just a a rabbit trail to nowhere, making a big deal of nothing. We're good at that sometimes, aren't we? A whole lot of something about nothing. But I'll tell you what's not a nothing. You and I have got to decide in terms of who we are in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Christian walk, if God is going to be the very one that we worship and he's worthy of our adoration then we've got to decide, are we going to accept this as the authority? A few years ago, we were going up every year in a church I was pastoring to a place called Falls Creek in Oklahoma. And man, our student ministry at that point was clicking. And uh, every year when we went up there, man, we'd have 175 students there. I mean, we'd carry three or four charter buses in there and drop everybody off. And it wouldn't just be people from our church. Our young people would reach, they'd reach out. Man, there were all kinds of unchurched people. Kids, I mean, that didn't have any church home. i never forget about the third year we were going up there. Uh, I think it was like the second or third day. One of the guests that had been brought uh, I guess through the Bible teaching at night, in our small group times, pulled me aside and said, Pastor Cook, can, can I ask you a question? I said, well, absolutely. Anyway, he, put, he whipped out this sheet of paper. And man, if, if I'm lying, I'm, di I'm dying. I'm telling you, he had all of this stuff about archaeology. I guess he had picked up before he ever came, somebody had kind of spoken into his life in some arena 
that, you know, the Bible's really not true. Here's why the Bible's not true. And he had all of these notes. I could see they had been typed out and photocopied. It looked like several times. This wasn't the first photocopy. And he had underlined some things and he had some questions scripted for me. He got into the Qumran scrolls. Now here I am talking to a 14-year-old student about the scrolls hidden in a cave. So in a way, I could tell it was important to him. And he said, Pastor Cook, I just don't know what to believe. I don't understand all this stuff. And there's this dating issue down here that it's not old enough. Or, and, and, and that, and, and that all, all of the pieces of the Old Testament weren't found in the same place. And certainly I've heard pastors go through that. But as I stood there, God just spoke into my heart and said, Hey, hear this young man out. So after about 10 minutes of standing there, I said, hey, hey, dude, we need to go sit down. <laughs> this is going to take a while, isn't it? And so, man, we went and sat on the ground over there, not too far from the old tabernacle. And I just listened to his heart. And bless his heart, he read all of those questions. And when he came to the end of them, I said, you know what? Those, you have spent so much time. I can tell in your search for God, and whether or not God is real, I can tell this is a very important crossroads for you. It's a very important decision. And I said, this, this, this will probably be a discussion you'll remember the rest of your life. And I said, what if, what if you just fold that sheet up, put it back in your Bible, and let's just think about one very important thing. I said, whether or not the Old Testament or the New Testament or both of them are really God's word and they are authoritative in our life, let's just move that to the side for a second. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you, do you believe that the Son of God came in flesh several thousand years ago, roamed around planet Earth, died, hung on the cross, died for people's sins, and then came back to life and ascended? He said, I do believe that. And I said, then, would you believe what the Lord Jesus said about the Old Testament? And he said, absolutely. And I said, would it surprise you to know that when you take your Bible, that the Lord Jesus quoted 13 from 13 different books in the Old Testament when he was teaching throughout his ministry? Hey, 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 did you hear that? 13 different times Jesus picked a book out of the Old Testament and spoke and taught from that. I said, would it surprise you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ during his teaching quoted 40 different authors out of Old Testament life with some type of statement? And I said, you know what? You may have all kinds of questions about archaeology. And when we get back, I'll be glad to sit down with you and we'll pull the books off the shelf and we'll try to work through every one of those finds and digs and tales. I'll try to help you. We'll do all of that. I'll be glad to do it. But listen to my heart. When Jesus authenticated our Old Testament... That was more than enough for me. And he said, Pastor Cook, I think it's more than enough for me too. Can I go and play volleyball now? <laughs> and I said, absolutely. How do we know? Well, I think there's a pretty compelling case that we can make over several hours about archaeology and scientific proof. But what has so moved me is just reading about the Lord Jesus himself and how time and time again he shares with us important information. Would you turn to John chapter 10 for just a moment? As we're just kind of wrestling with this concept of is the Bible alone, is it really the authority 
Turn to John chapter 10. That, that's a great chapter. The first part of that chapter, uh, boy, Jesus knows our name, the shepherd concept, some great stuff. But when you get to the second half, when you get to the second half of John 10, things get a little tense, don't they? In fact, in your Bible, about midway through, it probably has what we call a, a parenthetical break, a pericope break. And it probably says, I don't know, the subheadings vary. But the scripture text in that second set of verses in the 10th chapter of John uh, say something about, and then it was Feast of Dedication. Do you see that little section there in the break in your Bible? And I know we don't have time to read all this today, but man, it just so gripped my heart this week. I wanted to share a little bit about this section of Scripture because it just speaks into the authority of Scripture. It speaks from our Savior's heart about Old Testament, New Testament, the Word of God, and how important that authority concept is. A, a battle ensues here. In fact, it almost escalated to the point of a group of people, a, a group, it, it doesn't say Pharisees, it says a group of Jews, Challenge the Lord Jesus on the fact, and, and here's what the whole disagreement was about. Jesus had said, I am the Son of God. Now, here's the Son of God standing in human, human form. And these Jewish followers, they couldn't handle that. I mean, they could not reconcile that in their mind. And so they had one answer for it and one answer only. What was it? Hey, you're blaspheming our God. You're making a mockery. God's not a man. But I, want to, I just want to call your attention down there in verse number 35. Verse 33, 34, 35 is so fascinating to me because Jesus looks at them and he reminds them, you know, there, there are times that God reveals his word to men. You'll see a big G and little g in that discussion. And, it, and it's like, hey, just because God revealed his word to men doesn't make them gods. That's why you'll see often a little g used there. But it comes to verse 35 and Jesus, in the midst of this argument, says something important that you and I need to be able to take away when it comes to Scripture. He just uttered this phrase. Look at it in John 10, 35. It's almost like the brakes go on and he says, guys, guys, look at it. Scripture cannot be set aside. You see what the Lord Jesus is saying there? Guys, you may not like it. Guys, you may not agree with it. You may not even understand it, but the Lord Jesus is saying, you can't break it. I don't know about you, but when you build in your theos, your theology of where the Bible is in terms of just a book or God's authoritative word, for me, this is the authority and the authority alone. When you slide over there a little further in that New Testament and look at the totality of those verses, you know, Jesus died around 30 AD. We know that scripture writing in our New Testament didn't even appear, the writings didn't start appearing until the 50s AD. There was about a 20 year period that just the apostolic, the apostles were teaching out of what? Oral teaching. We think as they moved along there and they began to age that a couple of them looked around and began to say, hey, you know what? We better get some of this stuff recorded or there's not gonna be opportunity for others. It appears that the gospels were written out of the streamline and they grabbed those four gospels and they put those together. And then we had the writing of Paul at the same time who was writing primarily a number of letters to New Testament. Philippi had their letter and Colossae had their letter and the church. Corinth had all kinds of letters that's another story but one by one and even to a different group of people he would write and he would teach and you know that early church when these writings began to appear inspired by God used kind of a three-pronged standard to be sure they were accurate they used this concept of An apostle screening. In other words, all the apostles are looking at these writings, making sure and verifying it. 
Probably no one ever questioned old Luke. He was so meticulous about everything. But when it came to Peter, I bet they had plenty of thoughts about Peter's writing. But there was that apostolic screening that was going on. You see that over in the book of Acts. You probably read it a million times, but never took it in that context. Over in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, remember that's where the church is being described. Hey, they all held things in common. They were meeting together. But there's an interesting statement over there in Acts 2, 42. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the, here it is, to the, not just teaching of God's word, but to the apostles' teaching. To fellowship to breaking bread, and to prayer. The apostolic screening was going on. Catholicity was going on. Now, don't have a heart attack on me. This is not a Catholic church. I got it. Catholicity was going on in screening. That word Catholic means universal. There was some universal screening going on as that collection was being written and churned out of writings. The church at Colossae was looking and listening. They were reading. Church at Corinth, the apostles were. Believers were. There was a universal agreement on these writings that they were accurate, inspired, and correct, that they were divinely inspired. And there was a screening of orthodoxy. Never un underestimate what was going on first century when our New Testament was being written. And again, orthodoxy is just means in keeping with, in the correct theology standard. So what's so amazing to me is understanding that the church did not give birth to the Bible. The Bible gave birth to the church. And understanding that the books of the Bible are not considered authoritative because they are in the Bible, quite the opposite of that, they're included in the Bible because they are authoritative. Do you know it, it wasn't until 367 AD that we finally had this dude together? 367, the first Bible all bound up together was finally accomplished. Think about that for a moment. It took a little over 1,500 years to write. Think about the fact that it took another 300 years in history to get it all processed and put it together. Over 1,800 years total. And now it has been accepted and believed in for over 2,000 years. Only God could do that. And I can see I'm preaching to a tough crowd today. Some of you still don't believe. So would you turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1? You may not believe me, but I'm telling you, if there's anybody we can believe, it's Peter. That dude was such a failure in so many areas and so transparent and broken by the time his life ended. Man, if there's anybody in the Bible that I believe, it's Peter. We know he was a cusser. Josephus, the historian, says he was bow-legged and ball-headed. That's why I love him. <laughs> he was vulgar. He didn't say good things. And the biggest thing is, man, you know what he did to our Lord and Savior. You know how he denied our Lord. You, you remember that about him, don't you? We love to remember the worst, don't we? All the great things that old Peter did. All the great things, but here's what we want to hang on, old Pete. Yeah, you denied the Lord. Yes, he did. Not once, not twice, but three different times. You remember that as, as our Lord restored him on that beach, out there by that fire? Pete, it's going to be okay. You go feed my sheep, dude. Just go love him and feed him. I love Peter. Late in Peter's life, when he wrote these words, listen to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to hear from a broken heart, a man looking back over all of his history, all of the baggage. He leaves us with this. This is an incredible statement. First Peter, or, or 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. Peter says, above all, 
you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. He says, I want you to know something. There's a lot of editorializing, a lot of junk that goes on. But he says, one thing I want to guarantee you is when you pick up the Word of God and what you see written, inspired by God, it is not us that we are not the ones that have interpreted this. And then he went on to say this in verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe this is God's word and so therefore it's the best standard. We as a New Testament body believe that the Bible is authoritative and that's it. But number three, as we're defining who we are, I think it's significant that we remember the Bible does tell us something very important. The Bible, like no other authority in our lives, tells us what our souls need. I think maybe some of the most compelling evidence in terms of this being the power of God's word, whether we take those references that it breaks down like a rock, the resistance in men's hearts, or the fire, it burns in men's hearts, or the sword, it pierces men's hearts. We understand, don't we, that as followers of Christ, when we encounter a true time of teaching of God's word, Holy Spirit inspired, something happens unlike those moments when we read Shakespeare or we, we read Byron or Keats in poetry. There's something different about God's word. Over in John chapter six, one of these days I'm gonna take time to preach on this chapter because it's, it's a monumental. John six should tell you early in the ministry of Jesus, just the number six, early, John's early recordings, John six. Uh, there were a lot of people following Jesus in those early days, most wanting to see some miracles, but some wanting to emulate these 12 men that Jesus had personally selected, these apostles. And so there were all kinds of evidently people that had attached themselves. And Jesus had taught on a very tough subject over there in John chapter six. In fact, the middle of the chapter comes to a, to kind of comes to a pivotal moment when the disciples that were following Jesus, not the, not the 12 that Jesus picked, but some of the others said, this is some hard teaching and we're leaving. I love that. That's why I knew they were Baptists. They got mad and they were taking their, their boxes and they were going somewhere else. We'll show them. We'll pack them up and leave. And old Jesus looked around, the Bible says in John chapter 6. Love this. And he looked at those 12 guys that were standing there with him. He said, direct quote, do you want to leave also? Hey guys, there's the road. There it is. And I love John chapter 6 and verse 68 because here he is again. You know who's going to speak up. Go ahead and tell me his name before you look. Old Peter's going to have something to say to that. And boy, did he have the right thing to say to it. Peter said, listen to John 6, 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Good, good question. But here it is. For you have the words of eternal life. You see, my friends, dim and uncertain is the light of nature and philosophy as we try to study it. It comes back void with true important factors of key elements when it comes right down to it. I love in history when this great philosopher, Socrates, finally came to an understanding that he shares with his mentoree, the one that he was mentoring, a guy by the name of Plato, these incredible words, and I quote, 
there is an urgent need of some sure word of God to guide us in the right way. See, the Bible's not some class of books. It's a unique, the unique word of God and its theme and its power and its authority. And you and I can take other standards, but whatever we may take, all we'll be taking is some creation, but not the creator. You and I can choose to follow something else, but as we do, understand this, the thoughts of men will never be superior to the thoughts of God. In fact, other standards are nothing more than men's guesses. But the Bible, great truths of God, they burn, they glow. The eloquence of heaven shines through God's word. Amen? Many of you have felt that and sensed that. As we stand firm today against a gainsaying world, it now becomes our obligation to plant ourselves squarely on the word of God. Someone said that God revealed the truth and humans recorded the truth and God's people finally had to recognize the truth. Maybe that's a great way of saying it. But his word, divinely communicated, providentially collected and put in that very Bible and then the incredible spiritual commendation of the Lord Jesus himself. That Bible contains so many meaningful moments for us as we encounter it every day of our life, and I hope we do, to tell us how we can have a meaningful life, but it does so much more than that. It tells us afterlife. It gives us those connecting points and the glue of eternal life. Yesterday as our sanctuary was pretty full. Memorial service, for one, here in our community. You know, that's what people are looking for. What happened to him? What's going to happen to me? And they're looking for the very one that can tell them and give them the answer and the truth of that. And man, does the word of God tell us how important it is that God loves us and his, the relationship that he yearns to have with us. Many of you know that I love history. I know too much. And there's a few of you out there that share in that love with me. Just a few. But the other day, I learned that one of the most incredible historical facts I didn't know. I, for years, have studied not as much about English history, nation or country of Britain, but I did not know something that I learned just recently. I did not know that in the midst of crowning any British sovereign... Of course, there's a crown involved. There are elegant ceremonies involved. But since the very conception, every individual that's ever been crowned in any of the British sovereign nations have all had one of the same things done in terms of their inauguration. They seat the one, king or queen, whoever it may be, down in a chair, and one of the priests would go to them and place a Bible in their laps. And during that inauguration, they would always, as they presented that Bible to the newly crowned king or queen, they would simply say, and I quote, this book, this book is the most valuable thing the world affords. Every king and queen has always heard the same unchanging words. And I don't know that there's any greater words when it comes to the incredible teaching of the Bible. Maybe you are here today in search of something. Maybe at the center someone's in search of something. Maybe someone that is tuned in from an apartment, a home, a campsite, on the side of the road in a parking lot, tuning in on a phone today, every single one of us need today to answer the most important question of all. Who are we? Are we a child of God? Are we a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have we 
consummated a faith covenant with him by trusting him, by willing, being willing to do all that we can physically, mentally, emotionally, to turn from sin and to turn for him, to him for life ahead, trusting him. For the Bible says, no man will come to the Father except through the Lord Jesus and he alone. So today, as we have a time of invitation at all of these locations, that, my friend, is the most important decision that needs to be made on this, the Lord's Day. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. We thank you that as we spend a few weeks going back and just understanding what is it that we really, really believe. Who... Those, but that belief system reflects who we are. And Father, today we're just reminded how important the inspired word of God is. We don't worship the word, we worship our God. We worship the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Manifest three ways, one God, he you alone, God, are the one that we worship today. But your word is extremely worthy for us to cling to and to look to and to recognize as it is your word for us. It's your roadmap for our life. So, Father, with that in mind, I just wonder today if there be someone here at one of our locations on campus or someone away from campus that has never given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, never trust him, never sealed that covenant, never trusted significant verses when they say, cry out to the Lord today and you shall be saved. And Father, we know that that salvation involves our trust and our belief in you, but also our willingness to turn from darkness and things that we have done, all the things we've tried to do our way and to trust you for the roadmap of life ahead. That faith covenant, that alone, will bring us true salvation, repentance from our sin, and trusting of our Savior. Father, maybe there are those that are praying about a church home, just as these families have united with our church today and we've celebrated Maybe there are others that are praying and searching in this time of pandemic, in this time of chaos in the nation. Maybe there are those that are just looking for the right place to be trained, to be sent out, and to be able to use their gifts in a body of New Testament believers. Just wonder today if there are those that say, this, this is where our church home needs to be. So Father, as we have commitment time, in our locations today, I pray that you'll just use that time as only you desire it to be used. Holy Spirit, speak into hearts today as only you can. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.